0: And this is really important because we say it all the time. Well, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Right. But I don't think we really understand what that means, even as adults. And if you don't understand what it means and what's actually happening in you with God's love, then what you do ends up not having any value.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. The Salty Pastor is designed to help you grow in your faith. We create the context, we create the inspiration, we create the environment of learning and discovery and conversation, but in the end, it's up to you to start your journey of faith and do the work. So my name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be the host and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peake.
0: (laughs) Greetings to you each and every one. I'm just really excited to be here as we dig deep in the scriptures and Thursdays are always great days because we take the biblical principles. Then we try to find situations in real life where they are extremely applicable.
1: We try to find that practicality, right? So, we are currently in our new series that we launched last Sunday of last week. Um, Mm -hmm. We introduced the biblical principles of choosing your origin story. Yes. This is not make up your own origin story. (laughs) You don't get to Calvin and Hobbes it up and go and start making Making your your own own thing. thing. It's about choosing which one of the logical options that exist that you're going to believe in. Your origin story is the foundation on which you build the conviction that your life matters.
0: Absolutely. Because your origin origin story is all about where you derive your value, right? That Mm. sense of being it's like, I'm a human being, and this is what a human being is. And the Bible teaches that your origin story revolves around God's love for you. You were created to be loved by God. That's what we dug into the first week this week. We're going to uh, discuss what happens to us when we live in, walk in and experience God's overwhelming love for us. And this is really important because we say it all the time. Well, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Right. But I don't think we really understand what that means, even as adults. And if you don't understand what it means and what's actually happening in you with God's love, then what you do ends up not having any value and that's really the critical point.
1: So last um or on Tuesday we kind of discussed what the the scripture said um in mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 2 we chapter we two, yeah. we dug into that a little bit but um Thursdays, we typically apply it to real life. We make a practicality assessment, basically. So what are we talking about today?
0: Well, there's another video. You know, we're going to do these response videos. And this is a a guy, and I just want to set it up for you real quick. And he says, he claims that he was a Christian and a pastor for 40 years. And he says, I'm no longer Christian. Uh, Obviously, he's not a pastor. Well, if if he's done that for 40 years... um, That means he, maybe he started when he was 20, even if he started really young, 18 or 20 and the hard part with this video that I have, I want to be right up front with this is that if that guy's 60 years old, that's just not right. Because he looks like he's 35.
1: So it's a jealousy issue. It's not a, I
0: fully confess total envy, man. I mean, he's just this handsome, good looking guy and he looks like he's 35, but he's closer to 60 if he's been doing it for 40 years. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. So anyway, I wanted to get that bias out of the way right up front, but he also titles his, uh, you know, his little thing. My entire Christian experience, nearly 40 years was a complete waste of time. So let's play and see what he
2: has to say. I spent most of my life as a Christian, most of my adult life in ministry, and most of that time as a pastor. So I kind of know what I'm talking about here. As I look back on it all, well, let me say this: I'm no longer a Christian. I'm no longer a pastor. So as I look back on it all, the whole thing, every experience I can remember, every prayer I can remember, every song we sing, every every time we danced and shouted and worshiped and praised and I preached and all the things I did in church, as I look back over it all, and this is not in anger, this is not in malice, this is not in frustration or disgust or anything, this is cool reflection as I look back in cool, calm, contemplative reflection. There is not one, not one, not one tangible, lasting, impressionable, good, meaningful thing that came out of all of that.
0: Okay. Let's stop there. Okay. Now the first thing that I think is really important to understand is that he's making some basic claims. Okay. He's saying that I know what I'm talking about because I did this for 40 years. Okay. So in logic, that's called a claim to authority. That is you listen to me because I'm authoritative. I've done it for a long time. Therefore I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's like other people say, sometimes people will say, well, I'm a doctor. Okay. Well, that's a claim to authority. And so the interesting thing is that in logic, that's actually called a fallacy. Okay. When you claim authority, because the problem is, is that, well, just because you're a doctor doesn't mean, you know, what you're talking about. And just because you've done something for 40 years, doesn't mean you're any good at it or. You learned anything from it. Right? Right. So an appeal to authority is often one of the weakest arguments that you can make, but that's how he starts. Okay. Uh, The second claim he makes is I'm no longer a Christian and by default, no longer a pastor. What I think is really interesting in this is that he then makes a very important statement and he says, nothing, I, none of the prayers. None of the sermons he preached, none of the worship basically made any difference. Right. And so what he's saying is that they had no value. So what, what his crisis is basically is I spent 40 years doing this and I see no value in it, therefore, since I see no value in it, it has no value. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. That's what he's
0: saying. Yeah. So I want to get that up front, you know, and let's kind of go on and see what he says next. Okay. Go ahead and roll it.
2: Not one. Not one life changing, life altering for the better thing. Not one. Not one. Oh my God. This prayer was so magnificent. This prayer was so powerful. This prayer was so impactful that it changed my life forever. Not one. Not one worship experience that was, oh my God, this worship experience was so spectacular. I was in heaven, or I was this, or I was that, or God did this, or God did that. Not one. Not one message that I ever preached that, oh my God, was so impactful and people's life was forever changed and it it shook up, at least our church. Not one. Not one prayer. Not one praise, not one worship, not one message, not one Bible study session, not any of it for nearly 40 years of church life, church experience and ministry.
0: Okay, let's stop. Okay, now this is what's really interesting. Okay, so early on he said it didn't basically have any meaning for him, so there's no value in it. Okay. Now what he does is he tells us what he's basing the value, his value judgment on. So he's sharing with us. This is how I came to the conclusion that I determined there was no value in it. Right. Right. So he basically says, look, there was no prayer prayed that he believes ever made a difference. Okay. He says, no worship experience that was so spectacular that, you know, somebody was felt they were in heaven and it changed them forever. He says, there was not one message I ever preached, you know, that changed a person's life. He says, not one praise, not one prayer. Uh, He says, no Bible study session that ever changed. And then he says, at least my church, it never, you know, shook anything up. And so on the one hand, when you first hear that you go, well, that's kind of sad, you know, and I I understand, but this is what I find really interesting. Is this, is that when you make yourself the center of your life and then you have to make the judgment of whether you have value and what you're doing has value or not.
1: So you're determining your own value. If you're making yourself the center of, and that's exactly what he's
0: doing. He's saying my prayers, my Bible study, my preaching, my sermons, my praise and worship services never made any difference. And, and this is, this is really important to understand because I talked about last Sunday is that trying to determine your life matters based on your own self is like standing in a bucket, then grabbing onto the handle and trying to lift yourself into the air. Mm. It it's absolute and unequivocal meaninglessness. And so on the one hand, I uh, applaud him for realizing that I can't value myself, but I point out as a deconstructionist that he is, is that. He deconstructs and this is what all deconstructionists do, which is so funny is that he des- deconstructs everything outside of himself, everything else. Right. Mm. And even the, maybe I participated in that he'll deconstruct that, but what he won't do is he won't deconstruct the very premise of his entire argument. He won't challenge it. And that is, could he ask himself this simple question? Since I'm not God, how do I know? How do I know that the message I preached didn't affect never, somebody, yeah, affect somebody. you know, how do I know that? How, how do I know that, uh, the worship experience that these people had. And so what this does is that it kind of starts to betray the issue. And that is, is that like I talked about last week is what people tend to do who are deconstructionists is they conflate. You know, and that is, well, probably what happened is he was in a church. He had a bad experience. Maybe as the pastor. He had a bad experience that happens all the time conflict. And some of the people said, well, we don't want you to be the pastor anymore for whatever reason. And so then he leaves. And so then what he does is he conflates the conflict that he has with that one person to everybody. Right. right. And so it's amazing to me how so many people in our society have been trained to be deconstructionists as particularly young people. And that is uh, the number of people that I run into that say, well, I lost my faith. I lost my faith. I lost my faith. I don't believe in God anymore. I'm agnostic. I'm atheist. But why is that? Well, I was going to this church and then these people didn't act like Jesus. And I just thought, well, okay. Christianity doesn't mean follow the people. It means follow Christ. Right. You know, And so, and so what we, what deconstructionists do all the time is intellectually dishonest. And that is instead of treating every situation uniquely and exercising wisdom and judgment, what deconstructionists do is they conflate. Right. And they throw everybody into this boat. We talked a little bit about that last week And politics. People do it and religion, faith, church, people do it. Christianity, people do it. And so, but the problem with that is if you do that to deconstruct or criticize somebody else, then you're associating yourself with the other side. And you have to have the intellectual honesty to, uh, accept the conflation on the other side. So this is, it's, it works like this. And someone says, well, I'm an atheist, right? And said, oh, oh, okay. So you align yourself with the atheist. Yes. Oh, like uh, communist Russia was an atheistic society built on atheistic principles, and it ended up murdering 70 million people. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, uh, Stalin starved 15 million Ukrainians to death. So if you're an atheist. Then you support that, right? Well, they, you know, what they say is, well, no, that's not true at all. I don't support that. And besides, communism is an atheism. That's the most intellectually absurd argument that people <laughs> throw out. They throw it out on the internet all the time and it's totally ridiculous. Oh, okay. Well, what about Mao Zedong during the cultural revolution where he actually had murdered 60 million of his own people, 60 million. I mean, he may, he, what he did made what Russia did look like, a walk in the park. And so that's, that's what you believe. You believe in that, right? Well, no, no, of course I don't. Okay. See, this is a problem is that when you're working on what you believe and you're working on situations, if you want to grow wise, if you want to grow strong, but most particularly, if you want to know that your life matters, then you got to pick the origin story and then you got to pick the one and intellectually stick with it. Because if you don't incongruence your brain and all, uh, brain chemistry, science teaches this is that we cannot believe falsehoods. Our brain doesn't work that way. It has to believe a truth. And so now can we convince ourselves that a falsehood is truth? Yeah. All the time. Can other people do it? Sure. That's called deception. But the issue is, is that when we find out that we believe the lie or we find out we've been deceived what do we have? We have emotional dissonance, right? Right. It's a negative experience. Nobody goes, oh, wow. Let's have a party. I've been deceived for five years. Isn't that cool? You know, nobody does that. Right. Right. It's like, oh, I can't believe they got it past me. Well, so this is the way the brain works. And so even in our biology, it reflects the design of God. You see, and this is CS Lewis's argument of why, uh, It doesn't, there's differences in the morality, but the thing you can never get away from is a fact is that every human being is a moral creature. Mm. And that would never happen in evolution. You look at every other animal out there, plant life, anything there's, they are not moral creatures at all. Right? Right now that doesn't mean they can't do maternal things or, or protective things, but moral. No. So anyway, he basically says that uh, th- this is what I based my value on. <clears throat> and then he turns around and shares with us how he used his own judgment to determine his value. So let's keep going.
2: So I've come to the conclusion, <clears throat> come to a conclusion. All of it, all of it was absolutely And totally meaningless, all of it.
0: Okay. There you go. So where does deconstructionism end up? Meaninglessness, right? right? And then I can't think of a more sad thing to look back on your life and say, everything I've done is meaningless. You know, I mean, that's really pretty brutal assessment when you're talking about your own value, right? And so I wanted everybody to see that these are real experiences that people have and it's incredibly, uh, tumultuous, you know, for them. And I think one of the things is, is that it points to the fact that we have to determine our value, but we have to determine our value on something outside of ourselves. And if you use your own judgment, right, right. You're going to look back. And you are going to see that everything you did is meaningless.
1: Well, and I think it's really interesting that he takes all of this time to go, like you said, all these things don't matter. You know, I look back and I decided that none of these had value. None of these affected anybody. And it's just like, it comes back to this thing again, where it's like, you can't possibly know what you, what did and didn't happen. It's like those prayers... You don't know whose life right. could have been changed because of a prayer. You know, you you're not God. You don't know. You don't know whose life could have been. I mean, in the age of internet, where people can from behind a computer screen, in on anonymity, basically say anything, we still don't hear all the stories of ways people's lives have changed based on, like. Uh, things you've said or worship experiences or whatever, like sermons, right? Yeah. It's like, we'll occasionally get a, a, a rude comment of someone trying yeah, to argue sure. with you, um, but it's like, for the most part, those amazing <laughs> things, even in the anonymity of the internet, where people are quote unquote, most comfortable to share yeah. something. Yeah. And this guy has been doing this for 40 years before the internet was around. So it's mm-hmm. like the likelihood of someone just walking up and being like, Hey, my life was completely changed by you is not super high, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, he has no idea what he did and didn't do and what did and didn't happen within that church. Was he directly involved in it? Maybe not. Who knows? Who knows? But, but what see, his church as a this whole is, was doing. And could've. this
0: is Exactly. And this is what happens is when you, cause what he's doing is he's saying, I don't feel my life matters unless what I'm doing, I get to reap. The value that it has in another life. Right. Right. And so this at its core is what we're discussing. And that is, is that, well, your value can't be determined on yourself. It has to be determined from outside of you. And the origin story biblically is that you were created to be loved by God. And so for him, if he would have early on figured out that. I'm, I'm not doing this to prove my value to God. Cause you can't do that. Right. That's a deception. What the re I'm doing, what I do because God loves me. So my value is already established by something from the outside. And then, and, and then what you do is like, well, why do you do what you do? And it's like, well, I do it just because God's love being poured into me is leaking out. I'm not. I'm not doing this to prove anything. And Paul says this over, uh, over and over again, but most specifically in Philippians chapter three, he says, look, I have every reason to have high value. Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, a just Zealot. reading this. He talks yeah. all about it. He's like, yeah. I
1: could brag. If you yeah. want me to brag,
0: I could yeah. sit here and brag. I'm the goat. Right? You know, <laughs> the greatest of all time when it comes to religion. He goes, I got it all. He goes, but it all is worthless to me. It's rubbish. He calls it scubalon. And the scubalon was the stuff that was uh, poured out of the sewers onto rocks and they dried and they made slaves go down there and clean it off. He mm-hmm. called that. So he says, it's like the first swear word in the Bible, you right. know, it's just a pile of heaping doo-doo. <laughs> and so he's like, he calls it scuba and, and I mean, he's using really strong language and so what he does, he says, because it's, it has no value because my value is not found in those things. It's found in knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and savior, who I've suffered the loss of all things in order that I may attain to the power of the resurrection of the dead and experience. The resurrection. So, in the same way, when you try to prove your value, you feel valueless. It's meaningless. But when you realize I'm accepting God's love, then my value is established. It never changes. And no matter what happens, I always know my life matters.
1: Well, and I think what's, you know, just going back to this pastor of 40 years or whatever it is, it's like the idea that he has not had any experience where he's like, I made a difference. Like it, it feels like something more internals broken and Mm -hmm. he's just going, oh, well, because I have issues, I'm going to conflate it with this thing that I've been doing for so long that has not fixed it magically for me. Right. Like trying to find value in. Your actions is another fallacy, right? Like we see this all the time with, you know, you, you talk about CEOs and all these people that have all the money in the world and they're considered the most successful Successful. people in the world and they always want more or they're never happy and it's like, you can't define yourself based off your actions either. Like, oh, I did it for 40 years. I should have. Blank, blank, and blank out in front of me, right? Like I should have hit these milestones of my church should have grown this big or I should have had this many conversions or whatever. And he's like, oh, I didn't get any of those either. So Mm -hmm. it's like even if he's not defining it based on himself and it sounds like some internal hurt that he's dealing with, his actions he's also not happy with. And that's another fallacy, right?
0: Yeah. And I I think what's really important to understand about this and I'll use pastors as an example. Okay. I was on the phone with a really good friend of mine. I was in his wedding 30 something years ago. He stood up and he was in my wedding. And so this was a long time ago. I've known him a long time and he was talking, I said, To him, I said, look, we went to a Bible college. Right. And I said, we graduated in our class. And I don't remember how many guys graduated 20 or 30 of us, something like that. It wasn't a big, huge thing, but like 30 of us graduated. And I asked him, I said, how many of us, you know, graduated, went into the ministry and are still pastors. And he said, only you and me, that's it. And he, and he's like pretty soon only you, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it any longer. And so we, we were talking about it and that is because, uh, you can't help when you start out as a pastor, you want to make a difference. So you're constantly asking yourself, am I making a difference? And the hardest thing to do is to sow seed and never see anything grow. It's really, really hard. Mm. But what happens is. Is, uh, so get people get discouraged and they quit and then bad things happen. Uh, Barna group just came out with a, a state of the church address. They do this every They're year, like a research firm, They're a research that, firm, that talks about, about churches yeah, and things Christianity like that. Yeah. and all this kind of stuff in America. And it's really interesting. They said almost 40% of all pastors right now want to quit and leave the ministry 40%. And they, they're calling it the great resignation right now, and it's happening out in the business world, but it's also happening in the church. And that is, is that more people, pastors are leaving ministry than ever before. And so all these churches, I, you know, since over the years, we've used job boards and stuff like that, you know, and you get on their email list. And so uh, it's usually just, you know, junk mail that I delete. But what's interesting is the number of open positions now has quadrupled since COVID two years ago. And so it's just massive amount, you know, they can't find, you know, not only can businesses not find labor churches, can't find ministry directors and can't find pastors and it's really fascinating. And so you see people getting discouraged, right. And stepping out and then, you know, I'm like, well, why do you do what you do and The difficulty is, is in order to do this a long time, you have to move from my value is based, not based on the impact I make for the kingdom of God. My value is based on the fact that Jesus loves me. Right. Jesus loves me and that's my value and I'll do this or I'll do something else. He moves me in and out. And what's really neat is that it helps you resolve conflict because so many people think so many people think, oh, pastors do what they do, you know, because. They're trying to find value in what they do. So they always attack you based on what you do. You know, well, you said this, or you didn't do this, or you're bad here. or You're good here. And so, oh, we're going to you talk about your church poorly here. I mean, it happens all the time. It's just constant. It never, ever stops. Right? Right. Everybody always has. A conflict with you as a pastor. The, the bigger the church gets, the more fleas it has, and <laughs> it's just you know somebody's always upset with something, you know, with what you said or you left something out, you know. Now I'm not trying to complain here. I'm just simply saying. So how do you keep doing that <clears throat> and not want to just like, man, I'm so tired of someone throwing? Is because you know you kind of grow into a point, and this is what I was talking to my buddy about. You grow into a point is like I do what I do because Jesus loves me, and. Uh, I heard a coach once say, you know, praise, you know, he's talking about his win loss, record. He goes, praise does not make you holy and criticism doesn't make you bad. Right. And so it's just, it's hard to, to grow to that point, but you get to the point where you're just simply saying, Hey, I'm here to share what Christ has done in my life, if it helps you, what a blessing, if it makes you miserable. What a blessing I'm here to tell (laughs) the truth. I'm not here to blow smoke up your nose so you can feel good about yourself and I'm patting you on the back so you can praise me as you are on the wide road to hell, sorry, not going to do that because I don't do it for you and I don't do it for your accolades. I do it for one reason and one reason only. And it's an audience of one and that's Jesus. Some people like it. Some people don't. You just kind of get used to it. You keep doing it. You don't stop. And in the end, it is not my job to grow the seed of the gospel. It is not my job to prepare the soil. I'm the guy who sticks his hand. He's the sower in the basket, right? Where the seed of the gospel exists and then you cast it out, right? And it's the power of the Holy spirit. It's the power of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection that changes lives not me it's not what i said or how i said it it's the power of the purity of the truth of the gospel of jesus christ and when you grab a hold of that it doesn't matter what you do as a pastor or anybody else what you grab a hold of that you will find that the value you feel about your life mattering will never change it will always be rock solid
1: well, thank you so much for sharing another video with us, Pastor. I think these things are prevalent in lots of the social media aspects. And I sure. actually want to encourage you guys, if you see a video like this on TikTok or YouTube or or Facebook that you want us to kind of take a look at, I, sure. think, I think go ahead and uh, leave a comment on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts of a link of where you, one of those videos that you'd like us to review and maybe we can throw those in on a future episode and kind of talk about them. So if you see something interesting that you're like, I wonder what the salty pastor would say about this, <laughs> then we might be able to squeeze that in. So go ahead and throw one of those in the comments on YouTube or if you're on uh, an Apple podcast, on Apple podcast, if you're listening on Spotify or one of those other ones, unfortunately they don't have Uh, way to do that, but you can uh, email it in or hop on our YouTube and leave a comment there. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Make sure you tune in on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church to listen to Pastor Doug preach more on this and kind of wrap up this section of this series before we move on to the next section Mm -hmm. in the series next week. So we'll see you on Sunday here in beautiful Boise, Idaho.
0: Blessings on you.